Good morning, church. Yeah, I, I told first service, I'd love to, to get up here and tell you that, that Barry and Dan and I uh, creatively planned all of this to, to flow, um, but the spirit and our lack of communication pretty much laid out for all three of us what we were supposed to talk about today. Um, so I believe that it must mean that somebody in here needs to hear it. Uh, I believe that, um, that the, the Father can take one word, can take one message, and craft it for each of us to pull something from it. So I believe that there's people in here that need to hear a word of hope. Uh, I believe that there are people in here that need to hear a word of conviction. And in that one word, uh, we can take all of it. You agree? All right. I've been in Luke's shoes before when I forget things to say. And I hate forgetting things. I hate forgetting things that I'm supposed to say. Uh, I hate losing things. Uh, it drives me crazy uh, when I lose something meaningless. Uh, there, there's been times in my life when uh, there's a shirt that I want to wear, and I haven't worn this shirt in months, and I have a dozen other shirts to wear, but when I look for that shirt and I can't find it, I don't want to wear any other shirt at that moment. <laughs> that is the shirt that I want, and it drives me crazy that I can't find it. Uh, we have a daily ritual in our house called find Jennifer's phone. Um, it's every day. And I asked her for permission if I could say this. I didn't want to get up here and say that without her permission. Uh, but every day there's a moment in the day, maybe twice in the summer since you're home longer, um, that she says, all right, does, has anybody seen my phone? And she, <laughs> we offer money to our children to find the phone. Uh, and this search party goes out. And uh, it, it must just be a female thing in my family because my daughter got her phone, first phone this summer and she's already started on that too. Uh, I got a text last week um, and it was a panic, all caps text that she sent from, um, from Jennifer's iPad. So she sent it to me and said, Daddy, I can't find my phone. I don't know what to do. And I'm not kidding. Five seconds later, it says, oh, I found it. <laughs> and so I got home. I, I, said, I said, well, when you sent me that text, had you looked for it yet? Well, no. But I didn't know where to even start looking. I said, well, where, where was it? It was on the couch. Okay. But when we lose things, it's hard to get our minds off of it. But it's also in our response to losing things. Because see, when I lose something and then I find it, my response is, you were such an idiot for losing that in the first place. And I can't get past that. There's not a rejoicing when I find something. I really don't even want to wear that shirt anymore. I just wanted to know where it was, just in case there's going to come a moment down the road that I might need it, right? Well, when Jennifer finds it, when she finds her phone, there's great celebration in our house. <laughs> I wish that I could record to y'all the excitement that comes from her when she knows her phone that she knows is in the house is found. And there's a contrast in how we receive that, right? And so we're going to be talking from Luke 15 this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke 15. Uh, Dan kind of alluded to it earlier, um, but I believe that, that the Lord has a word in who we are this morning. And if you're someone that, that you say, you know what, I'm confident in who I am in the Lord, um, let's see if the Lord has something else to say about that this morning. I believe that he has a word for us. Let's pray as we open up the word this morning. God, we believe that your word is active. We believe that it's living and we believe that you have blessed us with it and that it changes lives, that it moves us. And so I ask that you would give us ears to hear 
what it is that you have to say this morning to us, that you would give us hearts to receive what it is that you have to say to us this morning. Would you pour through me the gift of preaching when every word that comes out of my mouth, would it be of you? And would it be the message that you have have crafted and poured out? Uh, We ask that all eyes are turned to you for your glory. Uh, As we hear your word, uh, I I don't want anyone to leave here the same way that we came in 40 minutes ago. That as we leave this place, that we are transformed, that we are changed more into your likeness as you created us in your image. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. We're going to jump right into Luke 15. And it starts in verse 1. These are three stories that if you grew up in church, you've heard this a hundred times. Uh, if this is new to you, uh, I think that it's really going to bless you. And these are three stories that Jesus crafts together on lost things. One of the things that I like to do with scripture, though, is to look at the context of who Jesus is speaking to. And so Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says that there are tax collectors, and get this, I don't know how this translates in the Greek, but this is the way Luke says it. He says tax collectors and sinners. I don't know how quotation marks translate in Greek, but somehow Luke wanted to emphasize that it is tax collectors and sinners that Jesus is speaking to. And then he says that there's also some teachers of the law, Pharisees and chief priests that are there also that want to know why Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. And the very next verse says, so Jesus tells them this story. And I don't know who them is. I I would love to tell you that I do. I don't know if them is, is he telling this story for the tax collectors and the sinners, or is he telling this story for the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees? Or is it this umbrella of he's telling this story for everyone? But he tells this story and he jumps right in to it. And he tells the story about this lost sheep that this shepherd goes out and he leaves the 99. You've heard the story. He leaves the 99 and he goes and finds it. There's great rejoicing. Then there's a lost coin. And this lady calls her friends and says, I lost my coin. And she goes and she searches throughout the house. She finds it. There's great rejoicing. And then he tells the story about a lost son. And there's three characters in this story. There's a younger son, an older son, and the father. Now, a lot of us have heard this story so much that we forget that it's a crafted story, that it's not something that really happened. And Jesus crafts this story to get something across. The three characters are very intent, but not just the characters, the things that he puts in the characters' mouths are very intent. The words that they speak tell something about us or the father. And so he jumps in. He says, there is a younger son that comes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance. Immediately, this is different from the first two stories that Jesus tells. Because there's an antagonist now. Because in this setting, everyone that heard Jesus begin this story is automatically offended for the father. Because this is pretty much the most disrespectful thing you could do in their culture, and maybe even in our culture too. Because essentially, what Jesus says is, without the four-letter words, the son says, I wish you were dead. I wish I didn't even know you anymore. Just get out of my life. And so everyone you can see that's in this setting, eyes go to Jesus. Where's this going? 
And it says the father did it. The father divides his inheritance. He gives the older son and the younger son their inheritance. And and you know the story. The younger son takes off. uh, We don't know how long it was, but he spends all his money. He lives it up. And all of a sudden he doesn't have anything. And he hits rock bottom. You've been there. We've hit rock bottom. We know what rock bottom feels like. And he's in this pigsty and he's eating this pig's food. And an image comes to him of home. We don't know if he thought about it beforehand or if this is the first time in rock bottom throughout all of this, an image comes to him of something sparks a reminder of his father. And so he begins crafting this speech and he crafts it. And he says, you've been there too, right? Where we think if I can say things the right way, maybe I can be received back. Not to the same level that I was, but even if I can just be a slave for my father, even if I can work as one of his servants, they're better than I am right now. And so he crafts this speech in hope of pleasing his father and being welcomed back, not into the household, but onto the ranch. And he walks home. And I can see him as he's walking, reciting this speech over and over again, maybe even twisting words or changing words uh, of thinking maybe this would please my dad more. And he sees the house. And what the story says is the father starts running. I have an image in my head of what that would look like. I picture an older man running. Probably not in great physical shape in my mind, but he doesn't care. He's running. And the son can see the father's face. And he can see the excitement on his face, but it doesn't deter him from his speech. Because it says when the father gets to him and embraces him, he immediately jumps right into the speech that he's prepared to try to please his father. And he says, I'm not worthy. And the father cuts him off. And you know what the father immediately says? He doesn't say, yeah, I told you so. Or way to go. His words are, bring him a robe. Because this son of mine has returned. You see, the robe, the robe is a family robe. It, it speaks sonship. It speaks belonging. It speaks return. It speaks identity. And so all of this time that the son has created this narrative and he's created this story of his own worth, we all, we all do that. One way or another, we create a story about our own worth. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. Uh, I, I haven't, haven't been dealt the right cards in life. I'm not worthy. Or maybe it's the other extreme and it's a bloated ego and, and it's, I got this and I can do this. And the, the father confronts his story about his own worth and the father begins to tell him or to redefine his story. And he says, bring him a robe. This son of mine, the son doesn't even get to the next part of a speech of, can you just let me be a servant in your household? The father says, you belong in my house. This son of mine has returned and there's only one thing we can do. It's time to party. Get the fattened calf. And they start partying. So I want to ask you this morning, do you trust your version of your story or do you trust the father's version of your story? 
Because your version says, I'm not worthy. And the Father's version says, it's time to party. So what do you trust? And if this was the same as the first two stories, that's where it would end. There's a party, there's great celebration. Let's move on to Luke 16. But then this other character enters into the story. It says the older brother comes in from work in the fields. He's sweaty, been working all day. And he hears this party. And he asks one of the other servants, what's going on in there? And this servant, again, these are Jesus' words that he puts in this character's mouth. The servant says, your brother has returned. And the older brother gets furious. And you know what he says to the father? He says, a fattened calf? You didn't even give me a goat. You never even gave me a goat to party with my friends. A fattened calf, which is one of the greatest things at that time that we could have, maybe even still, right? (laughs) Or a goat. One of the lesser things they could eat at that time. And he says, man, dad, you didn't even give me a goat. You ever been there? Why are they celebrating that person? Don't they see what I've done? I can't even get a goat out of this. And then he tells his father, this son of yours, now we know that there's anger. When we can't even name people, when we can't even give identity to people, when all we say is my ex or my former boss or them or they, and we can't even name groups of people because of our feelings about them, you know what? That's not a problem with them. That's a me problem. And when I steal identity from someone else, it's time to look in the mirror, right? I didn't even get a goat. And this son of yours gets this party? You see, the son has his own narrative of his story. And his narrative says, I've been here all along. I did things right. I've worked in the fields. I did the checklist. I can't even get a goat out of this. Not remembering that he's already had his inheritance too. And you know what the father says? And this is what hit me this week. I've, I've read this story a hundred times and I never realized this verse because the father's response to him is, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. And so in the narrative that the older son is writing about himself too, of I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. The father says, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. You're not my son because you did all that. You were my son way before that. And you're still my son. And everything I have is yours. It's kind of like one of those, what are you so mad about, bro? Everything I have is yours. And he confronts that story. What we see is that when our story deviates from the father's story, we're confronted with truth. And now we have to make a decision of do I trust or do I make a transaction? Because to the older brother, 
His whole faith, his whole identity was based in transaction. If I do this, then I will receive this, which translates to our lives of, I understand that Jesus died for me, that Jesus has risen. And so if I do this, then I can uh, in some way cause this to go into effect. But if I don't trigger that, then I don't receive that. And man, that's backwards. And that's a tough way to live. Because what that causes us to do is pretty much every day we say, has the transaction taken place today? Did I do enough today to earn that? And you know what? The answer is no. You didn't. You know what the father says? Put a robe on him. And the father says, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. So do you trust your story or do you trust the father's story? Because when we know who we are, it makes everything, it makes that transaction backwards. When we know who we are, now we know what to do. Rather than doing and earning, when we find our identity in who we are, it compels us to do. You know, Dan talked about Ephesians uh, 2 and 3 earlier, and I love, I love the way Paul lays out that book because Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, all three of those chapters, all it does is it tells people who they are. It says, you're chosen, you're ambassadors, you're ministers, you're saints, uh, all of these things. Here's what Christ has done for you. He's risen you. He's given you life. He lays out all of these things to the first three chapters of who they are. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is because of who you are, here's what you do. Be imitators of Christ. If I don't know who I am, if I don't know my identity, I can't imitate Christ. Be imitators of Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He lays out all of these things. Put on the full armor of God. I don't put on the full armor of God if I don't know who I am. So when we know who we are, it compels us to do. It teaches us to know what to do. But when I'm confused in who I am, my behavior is modified to act accordingly. When I believe that I'm unworthy, you know how I act? I act unworthy. When I believe that that I've got this on my own, you know how I act? I act egotistical. I act above it. But when I believe that I'm a son and daughter of God, you know how I act? I act like a son and daughter of God. And I imitate Christ in what I do. We're confronted with our true identity and it transforms us. This, this, is what, this is what Walt Disney built the whole franchise on, his identity, right? It's th- in, in essence, every Disney movie tells the gospel story. It's someone who is confused with who they are, they find out who they are, and then they spend the rest of the movie trying to attain that. They didn't know they were a princess. Oh, I'm a princess. Now, how do I act like a princess or a prince or a lion? 
I mean, that's the Cinderella story. That's Snow White. That's Simba. That's all of these. That when they find out their identity, it transforms their lives, and they, they take on the role of that. It's who you are. When you find out you're a son and daughter of God, First, First John 3 says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on you. It doesn't say how great is the love the Father has dripped on you or the Father has given you just enough of. It says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on you. What? So that you are called sons and daughters of God. Why? Because that is who you are. That's 1 John 3. It's your identity. It's who you are. So will you trust the Father's story in telling who you are? I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. I know there are people in here that you've been beaten down by your story. You know, my, my mind goes to that younger, the younger brother and how even after he received his robe again, even after he had been given a second chance, I have to believe that there are mornings that he woke up that he could still smell the pigsty. Or there are mornings that he looked in the mirror and he, he said, how can your father love you? I have to believe that even as the older brother and he's confronted with his truth, that there were days that he looked at his brother still and said, how can our father love you? So when, when, we, when we embrace the identity that Christ has given us, it doesn't mean that we're never going to doubt it again. And there are people in this room who, who you know who you are, but you doubt it. And you've been beaten down by your story, and you've been beaten down by your story. Will you trust the Father's version today? Will you trust who the Father says you are today? Maybe you're saying, man, man Jonathan, you don't, you don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. You're right, I don't. But I know who the Father says you are. And I know the end of your story. If you'll receive it. Maybe, maybe you say, man, that, that sounds too good to be true. As I, as I was over there in worship this morning, I, I was looking just throughout this room and I, I thought, how many people are right on the brink of the river of God? And the question is, do I step in or not? How many people in this room are, are wondering, is this real? Maybe you grew up in church and you're wondering, I, I, just, I don't know if it's real. It sounds way too good to be true. You know what? It is. That's why it's called good news. It is too good to be true. That's why it changes lives. Average news doesn't change lives. Okay news doesn't transform who I am. You know what does? Good news. The gospel. And what the gospel story says is that everything you need is right here for you. What the gospel story says is everything that you've ever needed done has been done. 
What the gospel story says is the Father has lavished this on you and you are a son and daughter of his. Will you trust the Father's version of your story? The shackles of of the pigsty that are still on you, will you trust the divine Father who runs down the road to meet his children? And in the speech that you've rehearsed, says, get him a robe. Or will you trust your version? I want, to, I want to go ahead and tell you, this is spoiler alert right here. I want to tell you the father's version is better. So I'm going to ask that, that our altar team will come up. Let's, let's go ahead and stand. And throughout this time, I, I just want you to hear who the father says you are. We've, we've sang about it today. I needed rescue. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. But God did this. He calls me citizen. He calls me his own. Who brings our chaos back into order? The king of glory. And we're about to enter into this song. It says, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I don't know about you, but I've asked that story a lot of times when I look into the mirror. And how, how can God love you? And if they only knew the screw-ups in your life, how can God love you? That's not the voice of the Father. So God, I ask this morning that the shackles of guilt, the shackles of shame, the shackles of fear, of unworthiness, of doubt, of depression, of anxiety, that they would be broken that they would be removed by the power that is in the name of Jesus. That our attempts at creating equal ground with you, that our attempts of creating an atmosphere of transaction would be removed in the name of Jesus, that we would fall into who you say we are, as sons and daughters, as heirs of yours for the people in this room that say, is it true? Would you overflow an outpouring of them? Of just the word, yes. For those in this room that have been there, that have been there, they've been wounded, they've been broken, Maybe by church. Would you bring renewal and restoration into the body today? So we pray individually, but I pray collectively for us that as a body of Christ, of one of the branches of the body of Christ here in Decatur, that we would be a church that calls people into their identity, that we would be a church that serves, that we would be a church who brings about the revolution of the kingdom in this city, in this county that it would be a church that speaks out against hatred, against racism, against division, against deceit, against anything that is, uh, that, that deters the story of Christ from growing in this place. 
not for our glory, but for yours. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We want to be part of your reign, God. And it starts with us saying, we are yours. For it is for freedom that we have been set free. And in our freedom, we choose you. In the name of Jesus, the resurrected son. Say that with me. In the name of Jesus, the resurrected son, we say today, amen.